Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Well, we are going to begin tonight. This is the, this is the fifth week of, of the class. Tonight's week five. And on week five, we're going to be talking about intercessory prayer. There's one more week after this, uh, on after this, but I, I have a bit of a challenge next week. The, the last class, and it's a very important class, it's a class called Contemplative Prayer, the one that you're going to be least familiar with, okay. that I really want to teach you, Contemplative Prayer, because it's really, really beautiful. Um, so last week was Petitionary Prayer, this week is Intercessory Prayer, next week should be uh, contemplative prayer. But my wife has to have surgery next week. So I'm at, I want you to pray for her. And I seriously mean that sitting here in a prayer class. She, she has concerns about the, the surgery and uh, don't blame her for that. So please be thinking about her and praying for her. So I, I think I will need to postpone that class. Um, Thank you for praying for me, too. That's next week. Yes, ma'am. What a privilege. I ended up in the hospital. But yeah, but you're out, too. Yes, that's good I news. I pray with your, for your wife. Her, prayers, her prayers. Her surgery is on Wednesday. It is on Wednesday, yeah. It is on Wednesday. Okay. And, and, uh, Which is the 10th? The 10th, that's correct. Okay. So, I don't put it on my calendar. Thank yeah, you. I thank you for it. praying for it. So the, the thing, here's what I'm thinking on that class, my goal was to have a field trip on that day. Okay, this is this is unique. My goal is to, and it still is my goal if it works. I've got a, uh, I've got a call into. Uh, I wanted us all to meet together at the Spiritual Life Center. At, instead of meeting here, we would meet at the Spiritual Life Center, which is at 45th and Woodlawn in Bel Air. Uh, and I have a an option opportunity for you to experience contemplative prayer in a totally different setting. Okay. Oh now I'm trying to get that moved to the next week. Okay. So I still hope to do that. So that's Holy Week. That's the week before oh. Easter, the week of Easter. So it's Wednesday night, the 17th, and I'm working the 17th. That's Holy Week. Okay. Oh, Easter's wow. the 21st. And I, I'm still hopeful it'll work out, but I will be communicating with you. So if it works out, here's what will happen. That night, we will meet at the Spiritual Life Center at 6.30 instead of here. Oh, we won't have any soup, but okay. we'll meet there. <laughs> but we'll have prayer. <laughs> but, but we will have a unique prayerful experience in a totally different setting. And I'll give you some, I'll have some scriptures for you, and I'll have some prayer-guided thoughts for you. Um, and then... We will actually meet afterwards. We'll all go, if you can. You know, we're not going to keep you out any longer than normal. But what we'll do is maybe go to a coffee shop or a close-by restaurant and sit down and talk about what we experienced. I really want you to experience a whole different, uh, shall we say, a, a different avenue of prayer. Uh, so that that's the 17th, if I, I can I think the 24th is a much better day for me. Does it? Uh-huh. Do you? 
Can you be here on the 24th and not on the 20th, uh, 17th? Uh, not on the 17th. Well, there's but, nothing that says we have to do well, it the 17th. No, we do it when you're going to do it. <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I don't know that I can pull it off because that's Holy Why Week. Holy Week. Yeah, and the Spiritual busy. Life Center may be busy. busy. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're, it's going to be very busy for them, so I don't know if they if it'll work or not. That's just the first chance I had. So if the 24th would work better, I'm wide open. So we're there. Would the 24th, anybody see any problem with the 24th? Because I'm pretty sure it'll work then. Well, let's just think towards that, and I'll communicate with you. Okay? Cool. It's a, it's a, it's gonna be a great experience. It is a busy week. That's right. Holy Week's a busy week. Okay. So tonight, let's talk about intercessory prayer. On your notes for this evening, uh, each week what I've been doing is giving you just a couple of key points that we learned each week by way of review. And I started with week two. Week one was a very high-level high overview of the ministry of prayer. I did not get week one recorded because my recorder didn't work that night. But we started with week two, and I, don't, I have two up. I just don't have three and four up, but I will get those up soon. But, uh, so week two we, was the week where I unlocked what I call the main key to unlocking the mystery of prayer. And that, of course, as you've heard me say three weeks in a row now, is coming to the realization that God heard, slash, I, I noticed on my paperwork, I, I wanted to say it two different ways, slash, hears our prayer, prayers, before time began. Oh, yeah. Okay? And he made his plan for the world based on our prayers then. They factored them in, if you will. Okay? However, if we don't pray them, they were never there for him to hear. Now, why did I say heard versus hers? We think heard, but I want to keep ever in the front of your mind that God hears from all eternity. For God, it was present. God is the present tense. God is. So when we speak of God, we can, in our human way, we say, well, God heard our prayers before the beginning of the world. But that's just us thinking in time. God hears outside of eternity. God is present always and everywhere. And he is the only thing, person that exists in eternity and beyond. Okay, I know that's a lot to wrap your mind around, but God is eternal. The very definition of eternal is God. There's nothing that is eternal outside of God. The universe is not eternal. The universe was created by God. You with me? God is eternal. Now, that was a week, week, one's, week, week, week two's big mystery. So in week three, we learned that the goal of the Christian life is not only to know God's will, but to be God's will. Emphasis on be, to enter into a life with God that is so close that we become his will, that we live out his will, that we know what to pray for because it's Christ praying in us and through us. Okay? We must realize that prayer is that kind of relationship. It's a, it's a relationship to be lived, not a tool to be used. We ask the question, do we want God or do we want something from God in our prayer life? Always a good question to ask. Is your request of God, is your prayer life with God, is your petitions of God, and tonight we'll talk about the, the things you intercede for, are they wanting him and his will 
to be done in your life, or are they just wanting from him? Okay, something to, to consider. In week four, last week, we talked about petitionary prayer. I said that we must learn what it means to pray from our convictions, not just our emotions. Anybody recall what we talked about on that? Is that, that ringing a bell to anybody? I know some of this stuff is like putting on hip waders for you. The whole idea of conviction versus emotion. Sometimes we just don't feel like praying. But we need to pray always. The Apostle Paul says pray always. Pray without ceasing. And you say, well, how can I do that? I don't feel like it. Well, you do that by entering into that prayerful relationship, by building a rule. One of the things I put on here is to build a rule and learn how to stick to it no matter how you feel. We should all have a rule of prayer. What do I mean by rule of prayer? A model, some kind of model that works for you. Whether you get up every day and pray the Lord's Prayer or pray something else or whatever guides you, develop a rule of prayer. We, we're, we're kind of used to saying, oh, we need to develop a rule of devotions. I need to do my devotions every day. And sometimes those devotions are prayerful, and that's good. Prayer wraps into that, and those can lead us into prayer. But I want you to go even beyond. Uh, if you're already doing devotions every day, praise the Lord, hallelujah, then just let that be a launching pad into some kind of deeper prayer life, rule of prayer, okay? Petitions should always begin with praise. That's one thing we learned. We do best when we begin by praising God. God is always worthy of our praise. Every prayer just, I mean, you just go listen to the old recorded prayers. It seems like the written prayers. It seems like they always began with praise. Jesus, our model, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. First thing he wanted us to hear, God, the holiness of God, the beautiful holiness of God. Um, so, um, something I did not get to say last week, at least I don't think I did, but I want to bring it up before we close the lesson on petitionary prayer. In my book from Anthony Bloom called Beginning to Pray, uh, as I was working through this book the first time, I underlined this, and I've got like three different colors of ink because I keep underlining <laughs> every time I read the book. And last week we talked about words. Words don't really matter, but yet at a deeper level they really matter. God already knows our thoughts and our words. Don't get hung up about your words if you're in the middle of praying and you start to feel guilt like I'm not saying this right. The truth is God knows your heart. Okay. But on another deeper level, we learned last week that words do matter and that that we should begin to form prayers in our heart that that that, that are words that we can live out. Okay, words that mean something to us. And to learn maybe some short prayers, some short breath prayers, some short uh, prayers of acclamation and adoration, different kinds of prayers. I gave you a couple examples of those last week. The Jesus prayer. That's one of the most ancient prayers. Nobody knows where it came from or who started it. Um, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. In my personal life, I adapted that prayer. And I don't know why, I just did. But it flowed from my soul a little differently. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And teach me 
to be merciful to others. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. And oh, by the way, Lord, <laughs> teach me how to be merciful to others. So that's just a little adaptation. You can make a prayer your own, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but in talking about the words, here's what I wanted to read to you from Anthony Bloom's book, Beginning to Pray. He says, but if the words we use are not made real by the way we live, let me say that again, if the words we use in our prayer, in other words, are not made real by the way we live, they will still be meaningless and lead to nowhere because they will be like a bow that we cannot shoot for lack of a string. And here's the, here's the part I underlined three times. You picture a bow that you, you got a bow and it's going to do you absolutely, it's a, it's a weapon. It's, it's something to use, but you can't use it because it doesn't have a string. Nothing to make it work, okay? And so here are these words he's saying, Anthony is saying they're, they're empty, a void of meaning if we don't live them out, okay? So we're going to connect the dots on this, and, and Andrew Murray tonight is going to help us connect the dots too. And, and so is Richard Foster in tonight as we talk about intercessory prayer. But here's the next line. This is the key. And when I read this, I just kind of sat. I just like, oh, my goodness. He said, it is absolutely pointless to ask God for something which we ourselves are not prepared to do. i got to sit down on that one. He phrased that pretty bluntly. It is absolutely pointless to ask God for something that we ourselves are not prepared to do. Comma, okay. If we say, uh, oh God, may, I'm gonna, just going to read on here. If we say, oh God, make me free from this or that temptation while at the same time seeking every possible way of falling to such a temptation, hoping now that God is in control and that he will get us out of it, then we do not stand much of a chance. God, here's the key, God gives us strength, but we must use it. When in our, and remember, he's relating this concept to our words, okay, and how we live. When in our prayers, we ask God to give us strength to do something in his name, we are not asking him to do it instead of us because we are too feeble or to be willing to do it for ourselves. So when he says to us, it is absolutely pointless to ask God for something which we ourselves are not prepared to do, I want you to think through that with me. I would challenge you to think of something. Now, remember this is in context of petitionary prayer, not intercessory prayer. Okay, Let's say if we're praying for the salvation of a loved one. Oh, I can't go save them. I can minister to them, but I can't. But in the concept of petitionary prayer, something we need. Oh, God, deliver me. Okay, just take the, the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, how, how seriously do we take that in our own life to avoid the near occasions of evil? Right? right? Mm -hmm. God's not going to deliver us if you know mm -hmm. we keep going down the same bad path or around the same bad things. Um. Lord, give me strength to, to do my job. You know, there's a person at work that I can't get along with. 
give me strength to do this. And then we go to work and we just keep beating our head against the wall because we just don't like this person and we can't get along with them, right? Well, is that true? We can't get along with them? Or are we trying to do it with the new heart that God gives us, with the new attitude that we want from God? You see, we have to make, what I believe Anthony Bloom is trying to teach us is that our words are pointless if we don't live them out. So when we pray, do not, as Jesus says, do not be as the hypocrites do. Do not pray all kinds of loud things and all kinds of things you just want to ask for if you're not really prepared to do it. Lord, deliver me from financial troubles. But then you don't change your spending habits. Yeah. Right? None of it, you see where this is going. Mm-hmm. You can apply it to just about anything. So I tonight... When my children were still at home, they would come to me on test days and yeah. say, Mom, I have a big test today. Pray for me. And I, it always bothered me. So I finally came up with a response, and they stopped asking. Because um, <laughs> I, I said, I would pray he brings everything to mind you study. That's a good answer. Because he's not a genie in a bottle. That's right. Yeah. That's and that's right. how I would follow that up. That's a good answer. And they probably began to thinking, but what about the things I didn't study? Yeah. (laughs) That's good. That's good. That's good. I love that. I love that answer. It is to be a good example to our kids and our grandkids. Right, right. So how do we unlock the power of intercessory prayer? What is the power of intercessory prayer? By intercessory prayer, what we mean is praying for others, specifically praying for others. We are interceding on behalf of someone else or for something particular for someone else or some, or, or you could say someone or some uh, institution. You could pray for your nation. You could intercede on behalf of a, a group or a, or a person uh, in that sense. And I want you to hear from Soren Kierkegaard. Soren Kierkegaard was a I forget now, I think he's Danish, Danish theologian of the 20th century. Kierkegaard said this. He said, a man prayed, and at first he thought that prayer was talking. But he became more and more quiet until in the end he realized that prayer is listening. There is a delicate balance between talking and listening when it comes to our life of prayer. I remember being a young Christian, uh, young man, young, new, new, uh, new born again Christian, if you want to use that terminology, uh, and listening to a, a preacher on the radio, and he said the problem with our prayer life is too much of us. And I still remember this like yesterday. I remember right where I was driving the car right down Douglas at the stoplight, sitting there, and he said, the problem with their prayer life is that too much of us spend all our time talking and none of our time listening. Uh, and it was new to me. I thought, okay, listening, listening, okay. Now, that's going to have a profound effect, the listening part, when we start. This is an introductory thought to this idea of what contemplative prayer is. Christian meditation. They work hand in hand. And you're going to see how intercessory prayer even works hand in hand with Christian meditation and contemplation. But to begin with, let's let's take it slow here to begin with tonight. Richard Foster tells us that the prayer of guidance constantly precedes and surrounds the prayer of faith. There's two different prayers that he talks about in there. 
the prayer of guidance and the prayer of faith. What do you suppose he means when he says the prayer of guidance? What might he mean? Pray and asking God to guide you where he wants you to be? Yes, yes. What, guide me in my directions. How do I pray for this? I know my heart wants to pray for it, but how do I pray for it? I pray and ask God to align my will with his so I know I'm doing what, what's right and what he wants me to do. And then, then the follow-up question is, how do you know the answer is right? You, you just feel it. You feel a piece of that. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, because if good. you're wrong, you just feel this. Very just, good. You okay. just know. Okay. Um, and then we combine that with this thought of the prayer of faith. What is the prayer of faith? Prayer of faith. Trust in God. Just, I'm dealing with some stuff, and, and I'm mm-hmm. just, I, it is, what, every day it seems like it changes a little bit and a little bit in mm-hmm. different situations, and it's just my faith in God that he's going to work this all out, and I'm going to stay positive that it's all going to turn out mm-hmm. how he wants it to be, and just keep my eyes on him and don't get sidetracked. Just keep my faith strong, and he'll take care of everything. And that prayer of faith, I like what you're saying, and I would want to say at the same time, hopefully, you're feeling and thinking, and what Anthony Bloom told us, that as you go along, he's going to work everything out, but he's going to work it out through the strength he gives you to do what you must do. Right. As he guides you. Right. In the prayer of guidance, you see. As he Mm -hmm. guides us, do we have the strength to do what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, God has all the answers, but he doesn't do things for us necessarily. We have to have the will. He wants us to cooperate with his spirit to do the things he guides us to do. Now, sometimes he does. He just miraculously, God will accomplish his will however he wills, and he will sometimes just miraculously do something. The one thing he will never do, and we might have talked about this in week one. I can't remember because I didn't record week one very well. The one thing God will never do is violate our free will. Okay? He will never violate our free will. Because that would cause him to be something he's not. Okay? God is love. We can even theologically go on to say he cannot violate our free will. Because we wouldn't truly be free if he could. Okay. Now, let, let me share with you this thought uh, from the, the book on uh, the celebration of discipline from Richard Foster. He, he talks about, Foster talks about praying with the imagination. How often do you pray with your imagination? Probably not very often if you haven't really heard this lesson before. Um the idea of praying with your imagination, what does that even mean, praying with our imagination? He says, well, the first thing you need to do is pray that God would sanctify your imagination. Okay? Imagination's a wonderful thing. It's a part of God's creative process within us. It's amazing. You know, can you imagine the person that first cre- created all the modern things that we celebrate? I mean, who thought of some of those things? Well, in their own heart, in their imagination, God put a, there, that's what put a thought in their heart, you know. Right. 
that's what I think is God gives us. It's like when you, you just drive around and you see everything. You see the buildings and the signs and all these, you know, somebody come up with that, but where did they get the idea? I think God yeah. gave them the idea. And mm-hmm. Scripture tells us all good gifts come from above. All good gifts come from the Father of lights. Okay, God is the giver of all good things. So any good idea we have, we should give God the credit for. Anybody that ever invented anything, anybody that ever, you know, all of the modern, the the age of enlightenment, the age of reason a few hundred years ago, okay, the Renaissance, really robbed society of this understanding that God is the giver of all good gifts and all things. Because humanity and what was born was this thought of, uh, you've heard it called uh, humanism, secular humanism, the those type of things, that the human mind and the human spirit and the human ability can do anything and and that we are the end-all, be-all. And ultimately, in that age of enlightenment, more and more philosophers just began to push God out the door. Okay? There was no room for God in the human mind and heart uh, and the power of the human mind and heart, which is extremely short-sighted and, and certainly not accurate and true. Um, so right now my daughter's in a philosophy class, philosophy and religion class, and oh my goodness, I'd forgotten, I haven't studied some of these philosophers in years, uh, Immanuel Kant, David Hume, uh, Rene Descartes, you know, you can go on down the list, all these famous, famous philosophers of the ages. And you forget how many of them are just, some of them were led by their faith, but many of them were just people of no faith at all. They just began, they shut God out of uh, all their reason and all their way of thinking. And so one of the things I think that Foster encourages us to do is to remember that the power of our imagination needs to be sanctified. And it needs to be led by and guided by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, as we talk about that, let me, let me share some thoughts with you. I love how he says this. Um, he says, children also teach us the value of imagination. Children teach us the value of imagination. Um, Like with Christian meditation, imagination is a powerful tool in the work of prayer. We're going to talk more about imagination when we do our field trip of contemplative prayer. But for now, here's a a little introduction. He said, we may be reticent to pray with the imagination, feeling that it is somehow slightly beneath us. Uh, Children have no such reticence. Uh, And then he gives the example of... a lady who is credited as a great saint of the ages named Teresa of Avila, St. Teresa of Avila. For this was her method of prayer. She prayed much with her imagination. Um, and she said this, I could, not make, I could not make reflections with my understanding. I simply, con- if I could not make reflections with my understanding, I contrived to picture Christ within me. Okay? Now, there's a difference between our head knowing Christ lives in our heart, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we're, 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 we're evangelicals. We've been taught. We understand Christ with it. Christ. Yes, look here. You have Jesus inside you. you got Jesus in your heart, don't you? You know? This is a beautiful thought. We love this thought. But what does it mean to picture that thought? And she said, St. Teresa said, I, I contrived to picture Christ within me. I did many simple things of this kind. 
She said, I believe my soul gained very much in this way because I began to practice prayer without knowing what it even was. In a play called St. Joan by George Bernard Shaw, Joan of Arc, famous person of history, insists that she hears voices that come from God. You all know the story of Joan of Arc? Yes. A young peasant girl in France during the French Revolution era, I think, and uh, said she heard voices from God. She was very devout in her faith, and you know the, she was ultimately burned at the stake because they thought she was a heretic. Um, but it says here she informed she was informed by skeptics that voice that the voices came from her, her imagination. Uh, and I haven't studied the story of Joan Joan of Arc for a long time, so I can't remember the specifics of the things that she that she heard from uh, in her imagination. But it says unmoved, Joan replied to them, "I know that she said they said you've been you've heard those things from your imagination." And Joan of Arc is credited with saying. I know because that's how God speaks to me. <laughs> sure, you're right. I did get those in my imagination because God speaks to me in my imagination. And so think about that for a minute. What would that look like if God spoke to us through our imagination? Think about right now. I want you to I want you to all kind of bow your heads and close your eyes. I know it's hard to it's hard to get into a quiet place of contemplation and prayer when you have distracting sounds around. But but think about right now, um, a couple of weeks ago, I had you think on something that mattered to you dearly. I want you to, in the quietness of the next few moments, think about that petition again. Maybe that petition is an actual intercession for someone. But whatever it is, I want you to think about it. And as you think about it, I want you to let your imagination wander. What would the final outcome of your answered prayer look like? What would it look like for God to grant that prayer fully, completely? Imagine that person or thing or experience that is so dear to your heart as a petition or a prayer. Imagine it. Fully realize. Wow. You see, when we allow God to sanctify our imagination, perhaps he even shows us the answers to our prayers. What would that be? Wow. Now, it's at this point at this point, uh, we want to ask for guidance. Because as, as Foster says here, let me read another portion to you. Um, he says, let me insert a word of caution at this point. We're not trying to conjure up something in our imagination that is not so. Okay. We're not trying to conjure up something that in our imagination is not so. We're not trying to manipulate God and tell him what to do. Actually, quite the opposite. When we ask God to sanctify our imagination, we are asking him to guide our imagination with a prayer of guidance and to show us what might be 
We are asking God to tell us what to think on, what to pray for. God to lead us in our prayer. A few weeks ago, I made the statement to you in, in my morning prayer that I gave to you, the final, the morning prayer that I read of St. Philaret. Lord, teach me to pray. Pray you yourself in me. It's coming to a place where Christ is leading our imagination. Christ is leading our thoughts. Christ is teaching us what to pray for. Because if Christ teaches us what to pray for, it can't help but be answered and fulfilled. That's the essence of what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. That's the essence of what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. It's not just tagging your prayer, oh, and in Jesus' name we pray. It's the essence of letting Jesus lead your prayer life. Now, uh, on your notes here, I I want to speak a little bit more about this uh, imagination thing, but I, I don't want to miss this thought. Um, you'll notice that all your words are filled in. I was so busy today, I didn't have time to go back and erase them. I, <laughs> so... Uh, don't need your pen tonight. It's all there. Let's try to take notes. There is an inner. If if there is when there is an inner sense. Here's what I want you to hear on this point. And on this is on the flip side of your notes. An inner sense of compassion is a really good indicator that we should be interceding for someone or something. Okay. When you sense or feel a a, a feeling of compassion, something moves you. Okay. That is most likely God's Holy Spirit touching you, saying, this would be a great thing I want you to pray about. I want your prayers, okay? Why don't you pray about that? Um, Again, this is leading us to intercessory prayer. Who do we pray for? What do we pray for them? How do we pray for them? I want, I want to read this to you. I want you to give you another beautiful example of this praying with your imagination. This is, this is powerful. Richard Foster tells a story of his own experience. Imagination often opens the door of faith. If God shows us a shattered marriage, whole or a sick person well, it helps us to believe that it will be so. Children instantly understand these type of things, and they respond very well to praying with imagination. And here's his story. He said, I was once called to a home to pray for a seriously ill baby girl. Her four-year-old brother was in the room, and so I told him I needed his help to pray for his baby sister. He was delighted. And so was I, since I know that children can often pray with unusual effectiveness. Think about that for a minute. You know, children have no guile at that age. Their prayers are pure. And and so he said to this child, he said, said, I need your help. And he came over and he climbed up in the chair beside me. And then I said to him, let's play a little game. Since we know that Jesus is always with us, let's imagine that Jesus is sitting right over there in the chair across from us. And Jesus is waiting patiently for us to center our attention on him. 
on Jesus. When we see him, we start thinking more about his love than we do think about how sick little Julie is. So when we center our attention on Jesus, he says, we begin to think more about Jesus' love for us than we do just about how sick little Julie is. And the little boy smiles. And so then he says, then Jesus smiles and he gets up and he comes right over to us. What, what, is, this, what is Foster doing? He's using his imagination. Mm-hmm. And he's helping this child to use his imagination. And he's saying, then picture Jesus. He gets right up and he comes over to us. And, and he says, he says, now then, let's both put our hands on Julie. And when we do that, Jesus will put his hand on top of ours. And we'll just watch the light from Jesus flow into your little sister and make her well. Let's watch the healing power of Christ fight all those bad germs until they're gone. Okay? Question mark. You know. And very seriously, the little boy nodded his head, yes. And so together, we prayed in this childlike way. And then we thanked the Lord that what we had prayed was the way it was going to be. He says, now, I do not know exactly what happened, nor how it was accomplished. But I do know that the next morning, the next morning, not instantly, but the next morning, Julie was perfectly well. Uh That's where he says, let me insert a word of caution here. We're not trying to tell God what to do. We're not trying to conjure up. But where 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 did his imagination begin? His imagination began with what he knew was true about Jesus. Jesus is always with us. Jesus always loves us. And that's where he wanted to begin. So we stand on the promises of Jesus. Um, In the next one, I said, ask God to sanctify your imagination as he leads you in prayer and meditation. You will not get this overnight. It's not instinctive in us as humans, okay? It takes time. It takes practice. Sometimes we we may try to use our imagination and it just wanders. But isn't that true of all of our times of prayer? But we'll know if it's wandering the wrong direction. Something you said a little bit ago, Tawanda, you just feel God leading you. And how do you know if it's right? There's times when I will start out, um, say, in a prayer, and what I'm thinking, something totally different just comes from the heart. And then, and then I'll catch myself, that wasn't what I was even thinking. So I know it's just the Holy Spirit in me and praying yeah. what... Yes, yes. So in this life of intercessory prayer, what can we say about intercession for others? We often pray for, probably one of the most often prayed prayers of intercession is for the salvation of others. Nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. We know the scripture teaches us that God wants all to be saved. Peter tells us in his epistle, I can't quote you the chapter and verse, but it's in there. 
I didn't look it up to put it in my notes, and I don't have perfect recall on the Bible. Sorry to burst your bubble there, but uh, I'm not the Bible answer man. I, I've listened to him on the radio a few times, and I'm convinced he has a computer in front of him. And can look it right up when nobody's watching. I, I love him, though. He's a neat guy, Hank Hanacraft. But in, I think it's first or second Peter. He says, God is patient and not willing for any to perish, but that all would come to salvation. So to pray for the salvation of others is a very beautiful Christ-like pattern. We know that that's in God's will. But how do we do it? Um, are, sometimes I've caught myself in years past thinking, you know, I've prayed for people's salvation and it seems like they just never respond, never respond. And, and it seems like if we know, A, God is calling, we know it's his will. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We know that Christ is calling everyone. Okay, There's no one on planet Earth that, it, that Jesus is not calling. Okay, But we have also know our human freedom, our freedom to respond to that call. So we should be praying, A, that they hear that call. But B, and this is where we sometimes fall down, me a lot of times fell down, was, was I really willing to do or be whatever I could be to help them hear that call? Maybe part of the answer that I wasn't getting was how God wanted to use me in that equation. Possibly. You say, oh, I want to pray for their salvation, but I don't want to go share the gospel with them. <laughs> Some people might say that. Well, I would be too nervous to go share the gospel with them. I'd go be too nervous to do things like that, you know. We need to put ourselves out there and just allow God to be God and allow him to move us however he will. And we might be amazed at what we're willing to do for the gospel. Because when Christ abides in us, we obey. Remember Jesus says over and over in the gospels, especially in the gospel of John, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done. Jesus says over and over, He who abides in me keeps my word, keeps my commandments. To abide in Christ is to obey Christ at any and every point. Now, I want to read you something I find just so profound, so beautiful. Andrew Murray, I haven't spoken much of him in our class of prayers yet, prayer classes. Um, anyone here familiar much with Andrew Murray? Andrew Murray lived in the 1800s. I can't remember the exact years. He, he was a missionary in Africa he, for a lot of his ministry. Uh, a Dutch Reformed, I think he was of the Dutch Reformed Church. Not a, a well-known evangelical uh, church, but, but certainly was uh, of the time. Um, not well-known in America, if you will, but he uh, was a Dutch Reformed minister, wrote volumes on prayer. This book is called Andrew Murray on Prayer, but this is a compilation. There are six books inside this book. Nice little print. There's six different books by Andrew Murray. And in one of his books titled Abiding Christ, that's the title of the book, Abiding Christ, and in the 20th chapter, I want to read some from you. And his scripture is John 15, 5, 8, 5 and 8. He 
He says, He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit. And this is Andrew Murray, so I'm just going to read a little, so just listen. We all know what fruit is, the produce of the branch by which men are refreshed and nourished. The fruit is not for the branch, but for those who come to carry it away. As soon as the fruit is ripe, the branch lets it go. To commence afresh its work of charity, and anew prepare its fruit for another season. A fruit-bearing tree lives not for itself, but wholly for those to whom its fruit brings refreshment and life. And so the branch exists only and entirely for the sake of the fruit. To make glad the heart of the husbandman is its object, its safety, and its glory. Beautiful image of the believer, abiding in Christ. He not only grows in strength, the union with the vine becoming ever surer and firmer, he also bears fruit, yes, much fruit. He has the power to offer that to others of which they can eat and live. Amid all who surround him, he becomes like a tree of life, of which they can taste and be refreshed. He is in his circle a center of life and of blessing. And that's simply because he abides in Christ and receives from Christ the spirit and the life of which he can impart to others. Learn thus, if you would be a blessing to others, learn to abide in Christ. And that if you do abide, you will surely bless. As surely as the branch abiding in a fruitful vine bears fruit, so surely, yes, much more surely, will a soul abiding in Christ with his fullness of blessing be made a blessing. The reason for this is easily understood. If Christ, the heavenly vine, has taken the believer as a branch, then he has pledged himself in the very nature of things, to supply the sap and spirit and nourishment to make it bring forth fruit. Quote, from me is thy fruit found. That's Hosea 14.8. These words derive new meaning from our parable. The soul need but have one care. The soul, let me say that again. The soul need but have only one care. To abide closely fully and wholly in Christ. He will give the fruit. He works all that is needed to make the believer a blessing. Abiding in him, you receive him, his spirit of love and compassion toward sinners, making you desirous to seek their good. Let me read that again. Abiding in Christ you receive of him his Holy Spirit of love and compassion towards sinners, making you desirous to seek their good. By nature, the heart is full of selfishness. Even in the believer, his own salvation and happiness are often too much his only subject. But abiding in Jesus... You come in contact with his infinite love. Its fire begins to burn within your heart. You see the beauty of love. 
you learn to look upon loving and serving and saving your fellow men as the highest privilege a disciple of Jesus can have. Abiding in Christ, your heart learns to feel the wretchedness of the sinner still in darkness and the fearfulness of the dishonor done to your God. With Christ, you begin to bear the burden of souls, the burdens of sins not your own. As you are more closely united to him, something of that passion for souls that urged him to Calvary begins to breathe within you. And you are ready to follow his footsteps. Forsake the heaven of your own happiness and devote your life to win the souls Christ has taught you to love. The very spirit of the vine is love. The spirit of love streams into the branch that abides in him. I could go on and on. Every paragraph is like that. This is some of the deepest most beautiful writings on prayer you will ever read. Every book. Is... And what's the name of the book? Well, that one's called Abiding Christ. Okay. Listen to the titles of his books. Abiding Christ. The Prayer Life. Waiting on God. Hmm. With Christ in the School of Prayer. The Ministry of Intercession. The Secret of Intercession. Andrew Murray is known to be one of the greatest prayer warriors of time. One of the greatest intercessors. One of the, a man who literally gave his life away as Christ gave his life away. In, and you could hear in his writing there something that I, I want to, that I think is so profound we need to speak to it. And that is this idea that the more we abide in Christ, the more, and, that, and, and I hope you hear by now, that to abide in Christ is to have a rich, deep life of prayer. You cannot abide in Christ. You can believe in Christ without a, a, a strong prayer life. But you cannot abide in Christ without a rich, deepening, ever-deepening prayer life. No, we never graduate from the school of prayer. Okay? Mother Teresa, I think it is said, I will forever be a novice in the school of prayer. Okay? We're always freshmen in the school of prayer. Because what we are in is, is we're in the school of abiding in Christ, and we are growing ever deeper into Christ and into Christ, into God, into the Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there is no end to that depth. Okay? So we will never reach an end. We will never graduate but we will ever be learning and growing. And it's in that process, what Andrew Murray was saying, in that process that we begin to actually think and be and act like Christ. The the, the things that burdened the souls of the lost that burdened him all the way to Calvary become our burden. I wish I could speak from greater depth. I'm a teacher here tonight. I'm not a great, I'm not the greatest practitioner, okay? You know, you've heard of the greatest showman, that wonderful, the great, I'm not the greatest showman, I'm not the greatest practitioner of this. I'm just a novice who wants to go deeper. Talking with other novices who I hope want to go deeper. 
because there is this secret in the life of prayer. And and uh, Mark, you shared with me last night uh, the Oswald Chambers quote. Oswald Chambers, of course, I've been reading his daily devotion, my utmost for his highest. I hadn't read it in 15 or 20 years. And I started it again this year, and it's so deep and so rich and so powerful. And in it, you... you you received a, a quote from your pastor in Texas that said, "Prayer is not how to say it for me. Prayer, prayer is prayer does not introduce us to greater us, works. Does not is not to uh, equip us not to equip us for the great work for the greater works. For the greater work. Prayer is, is the greater, greater work. Prayer is the greatest work we can do. So." When we think intercession, intercession is so dear to us. I I, I want to challenge you. Intercession will become praying for, literally praying for others will become consuming for you. Mm -hmm. It'll be beautiful to you. In fact, I believe it's how we should pray without ceasing. Petitionary prayer is beautiful and we need to bring our requests to God. We need, and there are things that burden us to the point where we, but, but intercessory prayer is a prayer that gives itself away. It's not a prayer that says, "Do this for me." Do you want that loved one saved for your sake, or do you want them saved for their sake? Do you want them saved so that you don't feel bad if you don't see them in heaven, or do you want them saved for their good of their own soul? You see, intercessory prayer is born of love. And it always gives itself away. Because love always gives itself away. Love never takes. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is, you know what the first Corinthians says in chapter 13. Love is always, intercessory prayer is born of love. Now, he, Foster makes the point in his, when he said to us about compassion, I said to you, if there's an inner sense of compassion, that's a good indicator that we should intercede for someone on someone's behalf. Converse is also true. If there isn't that great, if there isn't a tinge of compassion, if there isn't something that draws you, then your prayer is probably not going to be all that effective and probably not born out of the right spirit. So if I just look, for instance, if, uh, what's a good for instance? It's always hard to give examples of things like this, but I can't tell you what to go intercede for. Okay? You need to be led of God on what to intercede for. I can give you a list of things. Would you go pray for this? And and I'm not saying it won't do any good, but the truth is, there it needs more when it comes from your heart. Exactly, it's going to mean more if it comes from your heart. Okay. Circle back with me to the rule of prayer. One of the things I love. Last week I handed out my rule of prayer to you, and in my rule of prayer, one of the things that the petitions, the intercessory prayers, if you look on the page with the intercessory prayers. One of the things that it guides me through is every day is to be able to pray for God's church, the holy church everywhere. It guides me through to pray for all those who are hurting, who have lost their faith. It guides me through to pray for not just the sick and the poor, but even those that are maybe in prison. I mean, it just guides me through things that, ladies and gentlemen, I would forget them. I'm not going to remember to pray for those things. You know, until I started doing those things, I, that, that's where the rule became important for me. Now I sit down every day. I can't wait to come. You know what? I get to pray for the president today. 
You know what? I get to pray for the governor today. You know what? I get to pray for the policeman today. Because I wouldn't have remembered to do that without my rule of prayer. Maybe you're better than me. You might have remembered perfectly always, but I wouldn't have. So I need those rules of prayer. Because what, and what, what you have, what you find is that the more you pray, and, it's, it, and it's, it's okay to start out with written rules of prayer because they become yours. And they introduce you to the deeper life of prayer, and then pretty soon the words are just flowing. So I don't just pray through my rule of prayer, the intercessions, and, and just stop. Just, okay, I got that done. Check it off the list. No, no, no. You let it usher you into more and greater prayer. And God begins to reveal even more things to you to intercede about think about. And then you want to keep a prayer journal. Because as I guarantee you that if you will adopt some kind of rule of prayer in your life, and however you begin it and however you stick to it, God will take you deeper than you ever knew you would go and you're going to be writing stuff down. Mm-hmm. You're going to be writing stuff down about what he reveals to you. Because it's in that school of prayer with Christ in the school of prayer, as Andrew Murray says, it's in that school of prayer that he really begins to mold and shape us. All the way back to week one, what did I say about prayer is? Richard Foster said prayer is the central avenue through which God transforms us. The problem with the church today is too many people are believers and not enough people are real practitioners and allowing God to transform them. Apostle Paul says we must be transformed the renewing of our mind. How do I renew my mind in prayer? By praying. How do, re- how do I renew my mind in Christ? By being with Christ. How do I be with Christ? In prayer. 24. You'll get to a point where you can pray 24-7. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm telling you, I'm not perfect at this yet. But literally, I've gotten a lot better because it's, it, it just becomes Christ teaches you how to become more top of the mind, aware at, at, at just different times of the day, your mind is just constantly praying, driving down the road, doing whatever, working with a customer, doing what your mind, you're just always thinking, turning this little thought to a prayer. You know, you're having a conversation with God. I do all yeah. the time. That's, that's prayer without ceasing. That's where God wants us. That's how he transforms us. That's how he transforms the world. We forget sometimes that God that we are his agents, that we are God's agents for the transformation of the world. Jesus isn't walking the earth anymore. He's not touching everybody physically to heal them. He's not walking around saying, go and sin no more. He's given that work to us. And we are to do it. And we're to do it in his name and in his power. The only way I know how to do that is to be prayed up, to really become a student of prayer. And it's a sad thing to me that so many churches today don't emphasize prayer. They emphasize belief. They emphasize becoming experts at Bible study and learned and knowledgeable and all the great, wonderful things. And those are good things. But without prayer, they're nothing. Without prayer, they're nothing. Prayer is the most important because when you pray for somebody, for God, you know, to God, then he knows what that person needs or does he, some, does he need to have somebody in that person's life mm-hmm. that... You know, that person may be needing something, and we don't know who the person is that 
needs to help, but God does. And I think right. God puts people in our lives for different reasons. And we need to be listening. And you're exactly right. And prayer will help us listen. Right. Prayer will help us hear the God who's wanting to put those people in our lives. Right. Um, it's amazing. The other morning with my daughter, I've got to spend time with my oldest daughter. And okay. we were driving, and it, the sun was coming up, and she said, Mom... Look at the moon and the planet. When is the moon on the same side that the sun was? And I said, to me, that's God. And so we both were talking about, we in, we engaged in praying and talking about God and didn't even realize it. Wow. So. I want to introduce you to the thought of Christian contemplative prayer, also known as Christian meditation. Because that's our last class on the 24th we're going to set it for, okay? Okay. Um, I want to introduce you to that concept right now in these last couple of minutes. When you hear the word meditation, what do you think of? Sitting quiet. Huh? Sitting quiet. Sitting quiet. Some, you know, we think somebody in a, assume the position, you know. Um, it, 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 it is the, it is the exact. It, in the, you know, the position where the person's sitting there with their legs crossed or have their hands, and then they're, they're chanting, Om, Om. That's actually Hindu. That, that is a Hindu prayer of, 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 uh, of meditation. But here's what I want you to hear as we introduce this thought. Christian meditation is the exact opposite of what we would call Eastern meditation in terms of like Tibetan or... Buddhist or Hindu or anything like that. The exact opposite. Because a transcendental meditation of, of Eastern thought, I'm not, I don't, when I say Eastern, don't hear Eastern Christian, I mean Eastern, Eastern, okay? That is a meditation of emptying one's mind. You're supposed to empty, in that meditation, I actually, I actually spoke with a Hindu priest about this, okay? In a Hindu temple. Because he was, I was there to observe what they were doing and learn from them. It was for a college class, and uh, and I learned from him this. This is the purpose is to empty your mind, and in emptying your mind, you become one with the universe. Hmm. Okay. Nowhere in Scripture are we called to empty our minds. In fact, we're told that it can be a dangerous thing to empty our minds. Okay. <laughs> Remember when Jesus heals the demon-possessed man that one time, he says, you know, be careful now not to just leave your, I'm paraphrasing the whole story because I didn't put this scripture in my notes, that, that, you know, or it may come back and be seven times as filled as it was before. Okay. So our minds need to be full, not empty, okay, but full of God, full of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit full of the things that are Christian to meditate upon, okay? So, in meditation, just a couple of thoughts for you. In meditation, we are growing into what Thomas Akempis calls a familiar friendship with Jesus. Oh, that's good. Thomas a Do you all know who Thomas Akempis no. was? Thomas Akempis was a German monk, I believe in the 1300s. I may have got that wrong. It's either 1100s or 1300s. I'm pretty sure it's 1300s. And he was he he was uh, familiar he was famous for he is famous for having written the second greatest selling book of all time, mm-hmm. 
You know what the first greatest selling book of all time is? The Bible. Bible. Nothing even comes close. You know what the second greatest selling book of all time is? It's called The Imitation of Christ. Mm. The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. Mm. Wow, what a classic. Y'all need to read that book. Just a bunch of little daily devotions of his life, of his life with Christ. Powerful. It has book one, book two, book three, all in one little book. It's not very long, and it's you know, it works very well for a daily thing. Oh, how powerful it is. Wow. So he says, in meditation, we're growing into what Thomas Akempis calls a familiar friendship with Jesus. We are sinking down into the light and the life of Christ and becoming comfortable in that posture. The perpetual presence of the Lord, who is omnipresent, as we say, moves from a theological dogma into a radiant reality as he walks with me and he talks with me. That ceases to become pious jargon, instead becomes a straightforward description of our daily life. Please understand me. This is Foster writing. Please understand me. I am not speaking of some mushy, giddy, buddy-buddy relationship. All such sentimentality only betrays how little we actually know and how distant we are from the Lord, high and lifted up, who is revealed to us in Scripture. John tells us in his Apocalypse, that's the book of Revelation, that when he saw the reigning Christ, the reigning Christ in heaven... It says that he fell at his feet as though dead, and so should we. No, I am speaking of a reality more akin to what the disciples felt in the upper room when they experienced both intense intimacy and awful, A-W-F-U-L, awful reverence. What happens in meditation is that we create the emotional and spiritual space which allows Christ to construct an inner sanctuary in our heart. So I'm giving you some word pictures. Foster's giving us some word pictures here. When we practice on the 24th, and I'm going I'm to send you some things between now and then to short little things to read and to kind of practice, okay? But I'm gonna, on the 24th, we're going to go on a field trip, and I'm going to put you in a setting where it's really intriguing and, and inter, it just... It just I don't want to spoil the surprise, so I'm not going to tell you what it is. But it's just beautiful, and it's just serene, and it's just a place where you become filled with the presence of Christ in, in this omnipresent way, like it's sacred space. Okay, uh, it's it's one of my little hideaways. It's one of my little getaways that I discovered years ago. Okay, um, so he says uh, we we. We are filling, creating that emotional space and spirit, emotional spiritual space where Christ constructs an inner sanctuary in our heart. He says that wonderful verse, Revelation 3:20, "I stand at the door and knock," was originally penned for believers, not for unbelievers. It's often used in evangelistic, you know, Christ is standing at the door and knock. Will you let him in? So those words were penned for believers. The seven letters that John, you know, wrote, seven letters to the churches that he talked about. We who have turned our lives over to Christ need to know how very much he longs to eat with us, to commune with us. He desires a perpetual Eucharistic feast in the inner sanctuary of our heart. Meditation opens the door 
And although we are engaging in specific meditation exercises at specific times, the aim is to always bring this living reality into all of our life. It is a portable sanctuary that is brought into all we are and all we do. Just giving you that as we close class tonight. Um, I think it was St. Theophon the Recluse, a Russian Orthodox saint of the 1800s, I think. I think he's the one that was credited with, with saying, and I could be wrong about this, of who give credit for. And he said, we, with, in Christian meditation, in contemplative prayer, in other words, those are kind of synonymous things, in, in this form of prayer, what we do is we're descending with the mind into the recesses of our heart. We're descending with the mind into the recesses of our heart. It's beautiful, powerful. Something. I'm going to let you dwell on that. Okay, I'm going to let you dwell on that for a while. Christ building an inner sanctuary in our heart. Well, 7.39, I went nine minutes over. Sorry about that. Um, good to be with you. I'm really sorry we won't be able to meet next week. Pray for my wife. Pray for her surgery. Pray for if God will lead you in those prayers. That maybe in your, in, in your, if he leads you in your imagination to picture perfect healing. She has some real concerns about it. Um, so just, just pray. And uh, following our class of prayer, real life exercise here. Well, let's let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, we do well always and everywhere to give you our thanks and our praise. From you, every from you, no secret is hidden, and to you, every heart is open. Would you look into our hearts and would you see the love, the desire, and the joy, but also the pain, the heartache, and the troubles? And would you enter into all of that with us as we yield ourselves to your leading? and yield over emotional and spiritual space to you, that you might come in and, and truly dine with us, sup with us, feast with us, until we are so full of your spirit that we are led by your spirit to know how to intercede for others and to know what to petition you for on our own behalf. Thank you for these classes on prayer. Thank you for these that have come continue to lead us now as we leave this place. We ask this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, the all-holy, life-creating Spirit, as one God forever and ever and unto ages of ages. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.